Rich Hill stopped by PNC Park yesterday to sign his one-year $8 million contract, and I've got nothing, nothing, nothing negative to say about that. Well, okay, but not about that, but something that's possibly related. Good morning to you. Good Friday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Pirates. It comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into football and or hockey. I also offer Daily Shots of Steelers and Penguins where you found this. I have no issue whatsoever with the Hill signing. He's been good. I don't care that he's 43. He's left-handed, so he might as well be 53. It's just completely irrelevant, his age. Besides, it's a one-year deal. There's just nothing there to say, you know, even remotely snippy about it. He's a piece that was needed toward the 2023 roster, toward the 2023 rotation specifically, because you can't count on everybody that you'd like to be able to count on, not from a performance standpoint, not from a durability standpoint. According to Hill himself yesterday, the Pirates were hardly alone in seeking his services. Ben uh, Sherrington and having uh, you know relationship with him over the years uh, in Boston, um, obviously understanding that his ability to um, put together a, a roster um, for winning teams in that city um, is translating here now in Pittsburgh to uh, roster construction of having um, you know the upward movement into uh, the uh, winning side of, of baseball here in Pittsburgh, and that's and that's something that was very attractive uh, for myself. Now he went on to say all kinds of nice things about the potential of this uh, this young group and how he'd look forward to working with the younger pitchers and everything else you'd want to hear from a veteran. But let's not pretend the Pirates didn't offer the most money. That's how these things work. It's also, by the way, can I just throw this in parenthetically? It's also why I cringe constantly upon hearing, no free agent would ever sign here. No free agent would ever. Free agents go to whoever offers them the most money. I have heard of so, so, so few legitimate cases particularly in Major League Baseball, where the union is so influential among its membership of a player saying, you know what, but I really, really like it in this other place, and I'm just going to sign there for less money. Nobody does this. Nobody does this. When a player signs somewhere, it's because they were offered the most money. I have no doubt Hill was offered more money by the Pirates than by anybody else. So, again, if I'm going to rip them for not spending, if I'm going to rip them for not caring about a specific season, hats off here all the way to the front office, from ownership down and all that other stuff for signing Hill. Wonderful. Good job. However, dot, dot, dot. This portion of Daily Shot of Pirates is brought to you by our friends at North Shore Tavern. That's directly across Federal Street, from PNC Park. It's home of Steak on a Stone, an eating experience, underscoring the word experience. The steak is brought to you partially cooked on an 800-degree stone, and you do the rest. 
It's a ton of fun, it's a great meal, and it's a baseball atmosphere like no other in Pittsburgh. North Shore Tavern, right across Federal Street from PNC Park. It's going to sound like I'm changing the subject. I'm not. Luis Ortiz excites me way more than Rich Hill or Vince Velasquez or anyone else that the Pirates are going to bring in from the outside to fortify their pitching. Ortiz, for anyone who kind of tuned this team out over the final few weeks of the 2022 season, and you are easily forgiven for that, was flaming the ball up there at 100 101 miles an hour, like it was nothing. And he was using all kinds of other pitches to keep hitters unsettled. And then he would just bring bring even more heat. Uh, The kid was just unbelievably impressive. He looks like he's ready to pitch in the majors right now based on, well, nothing more really than my own untrained eye. I'm sure there are people inside the game who could find a lot of different things that he could work on, improve, become a better major leaguer. And no, those things are not always readily apparent. You have to wait. You have to see. And they have information from the miners where they'll say, well, look, he's got no pickoff move, and the runners are just going to go crazy on him when he gets to the majors. And they can know stuff like that. So I'm going to give the rare benefit of the doubt to management that there will be a baseball reason why Ortiz doesn't start out the season in Pittsburgh, which he will not. However, there's always, always, always the elephant in the room with this franchise that it'll have something to do with money. And since he did come up late last season and he's got roughly a month of Major League service time, he'll have to miss at least two months or two and a half months plus that month that he spent in Pittsburgh in 2022. So it's not realistic to expect to see Ortiz in a Pirates uniform again until more than halfway through the coming season. That stinks, but that's also the reality. And it's not just the one that the Pirates go by. It's one that almost every team goes by when it comes to Super 2. There's a little bit of collusion involved, I'm sure, to an extent. But for the most part, it's a system that benefits all teams and all owners equally. Now, that said, when Ortiz is ready, he needs to pitch. I'm getting this out of the way preemptively by a matter of several months because I can smell this one coming from forever away. When he's ready, not when Super 2 says it's okay, but when he's ready, when he's getting hitters out in the International League on a regular basis, the same way he was at this level, and when he's shown signs, real signs, Really verifiable, kind of like the O'Neill Cruz ones from last summer. He needs to be in Pittsburgh. There's a big difference between preserving an entire year of a player's rights being held and just holding him down an extra month or two for Super 2 arbitration. In the latter case, you're doing it for nothing but money. I am a 
thousand percent in favor of keeping the player down to buy the extra full year before that player can hit free agency. That is a pact that is signed by owners and players. If the players want to complain about it, they can go take it to their union leadership. But all you have to do to achieve that is to keep a guy down for like a month, not even. You Technically speaking, you could get away with doing it for a day. And the reason is that a player can't become a free agent until he has six full years. And I mean a 6.00000 on his major league service time. If you have even a day less than that, you don't qualify. So do that. Do that. But the Super 2 thing, not in this setting. Not in this setting. Not if you're serious. Not if you're serious, as they claim to be getting. When we come back, a related J1Q. Zach Thompson doesn't look to be part of the future, but why would the Pirates DFA him when he's got minor league options left and is capable of spot starts or long relief while they keep Dwayne Underwood Jr., who has no options and seems to be only okay at middle relief? It just seems to me that Thompson had more to offer, even if it was only as an insurance policy in Indy. Um, Yes! <laughs> I completely agree with you, Phil. I have not one conceivable counter to this. You might recall that back when we were talking about the Rule 5 draft protected lists, and oh my goodness, imagine how into this team and this sport you have to be to have tuned into that episode. The one guy I brought up the most as not making any sense for why you'd keep him on your 40 was Underwood. I also threw in Chase DeYoung and whatever, but even that wasn't fair because DeYoung is a guy who actually, in a quiet kind of way, produced okay relief stats. He just did. There were a couple of times where he blew up and you remembered it and he'd get a little bit of a black mark for you and that sticks out in your mind more. But Underwood did it all the time. He did it all the time. He became a human forfeit. And he's not young. As you mentioned, he's got no options. He can't be moved up or down or whatever. And he's never, ever, ever going to make a start for you, spot start or otherwise. And where Thompson is concerned, see, I I have a, a bit of a slant where Thompson is concerned because I've covered a couple of his better games. And they weren't even games where you'd necessarily look at the line score afterward and think, oh, yeah, he was pretty good. It was one of those you just had to be at. And one of them was in Milwaukee. Don't ask me for a date because I do all the Milwaukee trips. I just like going up there. And he dominated the Brewers for the first few innings. It wasn't super long. I don't even think it lasted through three or four. But he was overwhelming. The first time he went through that Milwaukee batting order, and remember that that's usually a pretty good batting order, and that's always a hitter-friendly ballpark. Didn't matter. 
they were absolutely no match for him. And I thought, wow, I mean, there's something here. You could see why the Marlins were kind of into him for a while, and you could see why the Pirates made him the theoretical centerpiece of the Jacob Stallings trade. And then you go deeper into the season. He was dealing with some injury issues and struggled somewhat. But even then, in spurts, he'd look like, whoa, there's really something here. And to use this quote that I often cite from Clint Hurdle, if it's in there, it's in there, meaning let's find a way to get it out. And to give up on him, well, I guess, like you said, he wasn't exciting. Lack of consistency is not exactly a strength in baseball. But at the same time, there was at least the possibility for something there, whereas I have no idea other than a rubber arm what it is that Underwood brings. And I'm sure that Derek Shelton values the rubber arm, especially when you consider how much he might or might not have overused a couple of right-handers in his pen this past season and David Bednar and Will Crow. So it might have just been a case of Shelton saying, I, I need this guy. I need this guy. I need him because he's never worn down. I don't care if he gets rocked. I don't care if whatever. He seems to have good composure after getting rocked. But I'm only speculating here when it comes to why they did it, because I haven't had a chance to ask anyone about it yet. But I'm not speculating when I say that Shelton really respects and admires him and by the way so do underwood's teammates and i'm not making light of that i appreciate the question i appreciate everyone listening to daily shot of pirates we'll do another one of these on monday 